Welcome to worship at Edmonds United Methodist Church. No matter where you are on life's journey, no matter what you believe or doubt, no matter how much or how little you have, no matter your race, gender, or immigration status, and no matter whom you love, you are beloved, belong, and are welcome. We say these words every Sunday to remind ourselves that even though the world sometimes places limits on belovedness or worth, God doesn't. So friends, welcome. Good morning, and welcome to worship at Edmonds United Methodist Church. It's a delight to be together on this, the I believe it's the second Sunday in the season of Lent as we prepare ourselves for the celebration of Easter. So let's take a moment to greet those who are worshiping with us online. Welcome friends. It's always good to be together in whatever forms we can be. My name is Donna Pritchard. I'm the pastor appointed to serve this church and this. And I'm Diana Nielsen. I'm your liturgist today. Excellent. All right, well, without further ado, then, if you would stand in body or spirit for the call to worship. Gathered to praise God. We stand in awe of God's creation. Grateful for God's care. We are humbled by God's presence. Challenged by God's call. We seek the grace to answer and to follow. Wherever God leads, whatever God asks, whoever God act, however God acts in our lives, we gather to worship, to learn, to risk, and to grow. So be it. Amen. Now, my friends, living together on the ancestral lands of the Coast Salish peoples, let's take a moment to reconcile our hearts to God and one another through the passing of the peace. You may offer signs of peace, however, is most comfortable for you and your partner. The peace of Christ be with you all. And also with you.
Good morning, children and youth. You can come on forward. Okay, go ahead and sit down. Good morning, Hattie. Ooh, I like your dress. Hi, Matthias. Hi, Alessia. Okay, this can um, involve congregational participation as well. So raise your hand, everybody, if you still have your Christmas tree up. <laughs> Nobody, not a single one. That would have been exciting. Okay, raise your hand if you absolutely love to jump into the Puget Sound in the middle of winter. No? Nobody? Okay. Raise your hand if you really love when it's snowing outside, so you're getting ready to play in the snow and you put on your shorts and a tank top. No, nobody, not a single person. Okay, so there are seasons in life, and we are in a season of the church called Lent. Does anybody, this could be adults too, because you know, we always quiz the kids, but sometimes the adults need to be quizzed too. So does anybody know what Lent is? Anything you have to say about Lent? Nobody has anything to say about Lent. Okay, so Lent starts on Ash Wednesday. You might have come to the service and gotten ashes on your foreheads. Maybe you didn't. Uh, but it starts with Ash Wednesday, and it represents the time that Jesus spent in the wilderness, full of temptation. Raise your hand if you've ever been tempted. Even adults. Yeah. Lots of temptation. Okay, so this is a season of church. Now, you all can be my helpers. Let's, let's pull out this banner and see what it says. So will one of you grab one end, and somebody else grab the other end, and we're going to spell a word out and turn towards the congregation so they can see what this fancy word is. Okay, here, yeah, let's stand up, and maybe we're going to have to twist around. Hold it out. Far, far, far away. Okay, Matthias, you can help in the middle. It needs some support. Okay, alleluia. That's the word. Yeah, that's the word. Okay, so we're going to do something for the season of Lent, and we're going to, sometimes they call bury it. We're going to call it, you know, bury or fold the alleluia. There's two extra. I know, that's just because it was a banner for whatever. Yeah, okay, so we're just going to, Take this alleluia, and we're going to hide it. It's going to be the worst game of hide-and-seek ever because we want to put it somewhere where everybody can see it, but we're still not going to say it. So where would you like it to go in the church where everybody can see it, but we're not going to say it? Oh, you want it to go on the ceiling. Okay. Well, I will talk to my people. We will see what we can do. Let me know if that's a life skill you have. Great idea, Matthias. Um, any other ideas? We need a background plan. Oh, the organ? Oh, like up here? Like in a chair up there? Okay, do you want to go ahead and, I mean, dare we put it up there? Let's just do it. Sure. You all lead the way. Find a good chair where everybody can see it. Just somewhere up here? 
let's just put it like right in the middle. Okay, there we go. We, we buried it, we folded it, and then we played the worst game of hide and seek ever because we'll remember every Sunday that we've just tucked the word alleluia away. Similar to how we tuck our shorts away, or maybe we don't jump in the Puget Sound in the middle of winter. And the idea behind Lent is that we can go ahead and give some self-reflection to things in our own lives, ways that maybe we've hurt others, maybe the ways that we've hurt ourselves, maybe the ways that we've hurt creation, and how big and beautiful and abounding God's love is to say, you know what, you're broken, you're imperfect, and I love you, I love you, I love you. And now the carpet is full of glitter, very fun. Okay, so let's close in prayer. Dear God, Thank you for your love that is so radiant, so bright, so colorful that we can see how our weakness is made perfect in your strength. Amen. Okay, we'll go back for Sunday school.
Wow, I feel like I had a workout. <laughs> Amen, thank you all very much. I just wanna give a, a brief introduction to the scripture um, before it is read for us. This is coming from the gospel according to Mark in the eighth chapter. And just before this pericope picks up in verse uh, 29, Peter has acknowledged Jesus' true status for the first time, saying to him, you are the Messiah. This is a pivotal moment for the Gospel of Mark. And today, what we'll hear read is the ensuing conversation, clarifying what Messiahship means for Jesus and also what discipleship entails. These two themes, who is really the Messiah, what is the Messiah like, and what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? Those are gonna dominate the whole rest of the Gospel of Mark. Now, Peter is characteristically confused or concerned about Jesus talking of his own suffering because Peter expects a much more traditional view of the Messiah, someone who comes with great power and might. And so he objects to this, whereas then Jesus responds to Peter's objection in a very dramatic way. Now, these teachings, they would have been particularly important for Mark's original audience, which was a persecuted community of early Christians, about 70 to 80 years following Jesus' death and resurrection. So for them, this was a message of encouragement that their salvation was assured through their faithful endurance of persecution. Let's listen now um, as Lou reads the scripture for us. Good morning, church. My name is Lou Lurie. Please rise in whatever ways are meaningful to you for the reading of the scripture. This morning's scripture reading is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 8, verses 31 through 38, in the Common English Bible Version. Then Jesus began to teach his disciples, the human one must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the legal experts and be killed, and then, after three days, rise from the dead. He said this plainly, but Peter took hold of Jesus and, scolding him, began to correct him. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples and then sternly corrected Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. After calling the crowd together with his disciples, Jesus said to them, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me and because of the good news will save them. Why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this unfaithful and sinful generation, the human one will be ashamed of that person 
when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Please join in singing the hymn of preparation. seated. Grace and peace to you from God and from Jesus Christ who calls us into community this day. Well, it is the second season Sunday in the season of Lent, 
And we continue to read the fine print of the gospel. Today, we find Jesus at his paradoxical best. When he tells us that discipleship, at least the way Jesus understands it, just might sting a little. Because there is no way we will ever be able to save our own lives short of losing them. This morning, we are being challenged to think about what it is we hang on to and what it is we are willing to lose for the sake of God's gospel and our own well-being. We are being challenged to rethink what it is that gives our lives meaning. We are being invited to take a look at our own priorities and to reconsider real life and death. Now, it's easy to understand Peter's confusion. I mean, really, who among us would be that quick to embrace the cross for Jesus or for ourselves? How often we amplify that confusion by trying desperately to hang on to life as we have known it, wealth as we have defined it, or security as we have imagined it. In 1987, the film Wall Street created a visual and dramatic representation of this very human condition. You may remember this. The main character, Gordon Gekko, was a ruthless corporate raider. And at one point in the film, Gekko gives this speech to a room full of stockholders. He says, the point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed in all its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, for knowledge has marked the upward surge of humanity. And greed will not only save this company, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Now, obviously, Gordon Gecko was a fictional character. But sadly, he has far too many real-life followers. There are far too many fans of greed, as Wikipedia defines, the inordinate desire to possess wealth, goods, or objects of abstract value with the intention of keeping it for oneself far beyond the dictates of basic survival and comfort. It is an inordinate desire to acquire or possess more than you need. Greed is that which leads us to clench our fists and try our best to hoard and hold on to things we think will keep us safe and bring us life. When those clenched fists and our similarly closed hearts are really what lead us straight into death, not the other way around.
Way back in the days of the French Renaissance, the philosopher Montaigne wrote, it is not want, but rather abundance that creates our greed. I think he was onto something. You know, people who are trapped in a refugee camp or starving in a drought-stricken land, people who have next to nothing, they are going to want what they truly need. While those of us who live in the midst of plenty, we're the ones who may be tempted to want it all. That may not be a very attractive way to live, but the real problem with our greed, it's not really what it spurs us to accumulate. The real problem is what it keeps us from receiving. When we insist on holding onto life as we know it, when we cannot imagine opening up our hearts any more than our hands, when we desperately try to avoid the cross of interdependence, shielding ourselves from the suffering of others as if it has no effect on us, when we wrap our hearts carefully round with me first, me only thinking, we are blocking so much more than relationship. We are limiting love and destroying community and blocking out the fullness of life which Christ has come to give us. So this morning, Jesus calls to us in the labyrinth of our deepest selves, asking us to risk something new. Reading the fine print of the gospel, we find that to follow Jesus may indeed sting a little as we let go of that which we thought would save us and enter once more into the paradox of faith that in order, in order to hold anything at all, you must first open your hands. Or as Jesus would say, in order to keep your life, you must be willing to lose it. You probably have heard about how they capture monkeys in the wild. They put a little treat that the monkey cannot quite resist inside a trap. And the monkey reaches in its hand, picks it up, and tries to extract its hand. But with a closed fist, it is impossible. The only way the monkey can get free is to let go of the treat. Time and again, the monkey isn't willing. I remember a woman in another church that I served. Now outwardly, she seemed like a very giving, kind, very humble servant. She was always the first to arrive at church on Sunday. And she spent hours in the kitchen preparing for coffee hour or potluck lunch or whatever hospitality was needed. But she never wanted anyone to come to her house. As she aged, walking sometimes became difficult. So rather than accept 
a numerous, any one of a numerous offers of a ride, <clears throat> she would call a taxi to pick her up and to take her home. If she became ill or felt a little down, she would invent a trip to explain her absence so that no one would come check on her. She never wanted anyone to come to her house, not her friends, not her pastor, not even her son. Now, I thought this was a little strange, but everyone said, oh, that's just the way she is. So then I thought no more about it. Until the Sunday, she did not show up. <clears throat> and nobody had seen her or heard from her for several days. Well, the time had come for somebody to go to her house. So I went with more than a little bit of fear and trembling. I found the back door open and I walked into another world. This woman had been collecting things for years and never letting anything go. In the kitchen, every available space was covered with empty jars and plastic food containers stacked on the counters and even lining the floor. From the kitchen, one had to walk carefully following a two-foot path carved between floor-to-ceiling stacks of old newspapers and magazines. Eventually, I made my way to the bathroom where I found this woman lying in the tub where she had fallen two days earlier and had been unable to rise. I called the paramedics who came quickly and carried her out the door to the hospital and all she could say to me was, you should not have come. She was angry with me because I had seen for myself the disconnection of her life. Now this woman undoubtedly suffered from a disorder which caused her to hoard all those things. But you know what, if I am honest, I admit I can go there from time to time. You probably can too. We all hoard, hold on to, and hang on to things well beyond what we need. It may not be used jars or empty plastic food containers or even books or magazines. <clears throat> it may not rise to the level of disorder or dysfunction that we recognize as a problem, but still, I have to wonder, what is it that blocks relationship or limits love or threatens community in your life? Is it perhaps some old wound which leaves you fearful of allowing others into the house of your heart? Is it taking on too much work, attempting too many tasks? Are you hanging on to some sense of self-importance, perhaps, which only creates confusion and zaps your joy? Maybe what you're hoarding are fears about the future or regrets about the past, which keep you stuck in a place of sorrow. Are you holding on to a life that you know is inadequate for the gospel's fine print? 
When Jesus tells us those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. He is clearly asking us to think about what we hang on to and what we let go. You see, my friends, the way of the cross, it's not about self-flagellation, nor is it about destructive behavior or irresponsible actions. It's not even about pie-in-the-sky eschatology or the threat of being left behind. Following Jesus, the way of the cross, that is about denying self. It's something much more demanding. It's about being all in, a 100% commitment to use your gifts, talents, and resources to share the gospel and to live into God's realm right now. Life with Jesus is full of the things that money, power, and prestige never provide. With Jesus comes real love, limitless hope, deep relationship, radical generosity, and true power in the upside-down and inside-out version of God's design for the world. Following Jesus, reading the fine print of the gospel, we can choose today to lose an old life that isn't really working that well anyway. Following Jesus, we can choose to embrace a new life, the one that we are being offered in this very moment. I am reminded of an old Far Side cartoon, which I think put a fine point on this choice we all must make. In the first frame, you see a hapless character who has obviously slipped off a steep bank. He is hanging onto the root of a small tree, dangling precariously over a deep ravine. And he cries out, help, somebody help me. In the next frame, you find God taking note of his situation and telling him, don't worry, I've got you, just let go of the tree. And then in the final frame, the man considers this for a moment and then says, anybody else up there? <laughs> Whether we admit it or not, we are all in midair clinging to something. And the question is, are we making the right choice? What can you give in exchange for your life? When you read the fine print, the answer is obvious. The only thing you can give is your love, your trust, your interdependence on God and one another. It might sting a little, but ultimately, that is what will save us in the end. Thanks be to God. Amen.
As we come to a time of prayer, I would invite you to take a look in the bulletin at the prayer list. We'll take a few moments in silence to allow you to lift these persons and places and situations and those closest to your own hearts this day. I want to just also make a note that the flowers here in front of the pulpit today are there in honor of Avila Arcala, who passed away this past week. Let us pray. Holy and merciful God, we thank you for life and love and even for this day. We thank you for Sundays where we come together to remember that you found us first, not because of our own doing, but because of your desire. You, unafraid, found where we were hiding and you placed your cross upon us and said, Tag, you're it. Dear God, this morning we pray for the young, for those just starting out in life, full of hope and expectation and promise. We pray for those who are at the end of life, full of expectation and wonder for what comes next. We pray as well for the brokenhearted, for whom life has become a burden. We are at a loss. We do not know what to do. May you, and by you we mean ourselves, be companions to them as they walk the long loneliness. We pray for people who are hungry. Most of the time we don't know what to do about their hunger, <clears throat> or we do know, but we do not do it as we slide our next meal into our mouths. Give us the grace to feed hungry people like we ourselves want to be fed. More than that, God, give us the courage 
to challenge and change the systems which keep people hungry. We pray for those who are fairly well adjusted and have adapted quite nicely to the world as it is. Prick us from our alliances with loveless power, especially the power that corrupts the dirt, the air, the water, the power that scars the planet and raises the temperature of our concern. You, God, have never given up on us or on this earth. You delight in us even before we know what delight means. As those who have been wooed by delight, <coughs> we pray as Jesus taught us to pray. to add just one little line in the bulletin that isn't there, and that would be a stewardship moment. And you're saying to yourself, wait a minute, I thought we were done with that. <laughs> Last Sunday was Pledge Sunday, <clears throat> and I'm very happy to let you know there was a great response. We have received $849,460 in pledges toward our budget this year. That is a fabulous response. There are still a number of people who pledged last year who have not yet turned in their estimate of giving for this year. So if you're in that camp, I would encourage you to do so soon uh, because we would like to be able to take a look at the whole budget and make sure that we can fulfill it. But we're very, very close and I want to thank each and every one of you for your part in this faithful commitment. I invite us into a time of giving. The offering plate will be passed in the sanctuary, and I encourage you, encourage you to be generous, as God has been generous to us. I'm also reminded that many of us give through the virtual plate online. And perhaps we can reflect on that gift as the plate passes us by so that we do not forget that money that's coming out regularly without us writing a check, that we're thinking and remembering in our hearts that we too are giving today. If you are online, you may give in two ways. Online at edmundsumc.org slash give, or by sending a check <clears throat> via mail to 828 Casper Street, Edmonds, Washington, 98020. And thank you for supporting the ministries and the staff of this church.
Oh God, please accept these gifts from our hearts, from our lives, as we do your work in this world to bring love, hope, healing, and joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I have a few announcements that I want to draw to your attention that you'll find in the back of the bulletin this morning. Uh, Today, following worship in the chapel, if you'd like to get a little bit of an update on latest news from Palestine, you're welcome to join that team in the chapel. Also today, um, following uh, worship, Go get yourself a little beverage, a little snack. And if you are relatively new to this congregation and would like to learn more about who we are and um, what we believe and how we are structured, that sort of thing, we're doing a little brief newcomers orientation in the library. And I would be thrilled if you would join me for that. It'll last no more than an hour and we'll give you some helpful information as you enter into the life of this congregation. So newcomer orientation in the library, immediately following worship. And then Gayla has an announcement that she wants to make. Thank you and good morning church. As you know, Advocates for Justice Environment sent you a survey a year ago, January, asking what you wanted our advocates to do. Solar panels was your first choice, so that's what we've been working on. We presented a proposal to the Administrative Board in January. They unanimously approved it. Many thanks to the board, and I see Ed over there. The design and submission of the proposal itself was the expert work of Stan Gent of the Environmental Advocates team. And he continues to work with the granting departments and the installation company. And the Finance Committee of the Board has approved the financial plan in which 82.5% of the proposed cost of the project will be paid for by grants. The remainder is to be borrowed from the EUMC endowment fund and to be repaid as the project is completed, the grants are and the grants are received and a save, our savings are realized. Because the church service services of our church that benefit low-income residents, such as the food bank, the operation of the child care center, refugee resettlement, and missions through Catherine James Foundation, and also food assistance and housing assistance through the, through the office. This, these programs make us eligible for Washington's Community Solar Expansion Program, which gives us a lot of our, of our grant money. In addition, the federal government's Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA, allows nonprofits like our church to have an equivalent of 30% of the cost of the solar panels. And this is 
Both of these are amazing. You know, I've been working on this since 2010. So this is pretty, pretty darn exciting. So currently, the background preparation, permits, and engineering are in process, and the project is already on schedule. Forecast Solar, they are our installers. They expect the background work to be completed sometime between three and six weeks. It kind of depends on how long it takes them to get their permits. Installation, which is what I was excited about, should begin in late March or early April. And the company expects to have installation completed in June or July. So this summer, we should have our own energy from our own solar panels. <laughs> yeah. And we will host a workshop for an informational meeting for the congregation. We have it scheduled for April the 7th. We'll see what's going on, but that'll be an opportunity for you to get some more detailed information, and hopefully we'll hear something on the roof during that informational meeting, and to ask questions. Um, I it sounds like you might be as, almost excite, as excited as I am about this solar panel project. Um, I will be in the back of the church um, after service if you have some questions, and I'll be able to answer quite a few of them. Stan will, uh, had hoped to be here, but he's not well this morning, so, but he'll be around later. So um, I'll be back there in case you want to ask a couple questions that I can answer. Thank you all very much for everything. You know, this is just one, one more example of how this congregation is stepping into the future and putting our faith into action as we care for the planet. So thank you to all who've had a part in this. If you, um, <clears throat> you know, would like to see us take a little less out of the endowment and wanna give a few uh, coins toward this project, I'm sure that Gayla would be happy to talk to you about that as well. Let's stand now for the singing of the closing hymn. <laughs>
now, my friends, let us go forth to be God's people in all God's world. Let us go forth opening our hands and our hearts, finding the courage to let go of that which truly does not work and embrace the love of Christ. And may God's peace be with us all. Amen.